Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Freeman Means Business Wonder Women in Business podcast. Everyone has a story, and our Wonder Women in Business podcast gives a voice to those women whose story is meaningful, moving, and compelling. Today's guest is Wendy Merrill. Wendy, let me say thank you so much. I know you. I adore you. I want everyone else who hears this podcast to know you and adore you, too. Um, it's an honor to have you on the show today. Thank you. It's great to be here, finally. Yeah, so I know we've been trying to do this for quite a while, um, and I get booked up way far out, which is a good problem to have, but it's hard to wait when you have such a great story to tell. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Wendy. So I, uh, I am a mother of three, um, and well, I should also act, I should include my furry child as well, my dog, Luna, so kind of a mother of four, and I live outside of Baltimore, Maryland. Um, and I have my own business that I've had for about six and a half years and prior, which is a, in the consulting space. And prior to that, I have a lifelong career in sales and all things business development, mostly in the financial services field. Gotcha. I did not know that. That's incredible. Um, yeah. I share that. We share that past. We do. Well, tell, uh, tell me something, you know, about your education, what you do when you're not working. Let us get to know you a bit more uh, intimately. So uh, I went to the University of Maryland. I studied history of art and Italian, which, believe it or not, I actually do use a little bit about, of what I learned in undergrad in my liberal arts degree in my daily life. Uh, but the real reason I did it was I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And I really wanted to study abroad, and I was uh, able and honored and to study in Florence, Italy for my entire junior year in college, which was a totally transformative experience. Um, and uh, still maintain friendships to this day and still maintain uh, relative fluency in Italian, which is a lot of fun. And um, I am originally from the Washington, D.C. area, so suburban Washington in Maryland. Um, and I married a boy from Boston, Massachusetts, or just outside of Boston. And we met actually living in Chicago several years ago. Wow. Many years ago, we met doing laundry. And I like to joke that we moved back east because Lake Michigan wasn't salty enough for him because he's an ocean boy. So... Uh, we, we moved back east and we decided to settle in Maryland in the Baltimore area because that's where my parents had settled. Um, and uh, my father and I joined forces in business. So we've now been in the Baltimore area for, gosh, almost 18 years. Wow. And um, yeah. <laughs> I have Which, to say, uh, we have a lot more in common than I realized. I studied Italian overseas and art history in college. Um, I lived in Boston for 12 years, worked in financial services. I love that you're on the East Coast. I, I, those folks, I just really like East Coasters. They're awesome. Not to slam my West Coast friends, but I do like East Coasters a lot. You're hearty, hearty people, critical thinkers, um, I'd say, for the most part. Tell me a little bit, uh, uh, what was your, you know, you're working with your dad. You've been doing this for 18 years out there. I guess it's a uh, pretty robust. It's fun. You know, people out there are in professional services, they probably need what you do a lot. What has been your proudest professional accomplishment? Definitely without question. Well, actually I have two, if that's okay. My, I'm, I'm super proud of starting my business strategy horse consulting group, which was completely from scratch. And it's my, my fourth baby, I would say. Um, and also writing my first book, which I did earlier uh, this year. Okay. I have to say, I have your book. I'm going to promote your book in the blog that I write after we finish the podcast. It's an incredible book. So it's a good book for many reasons. Many of the obvious reasons it helps you strategize. It gives you plans. It gives you, um, she's lots of, lots of thought leadership in that book. But what I like most, I think, about the book is it's written in, in easy to read, easy to understand language of the user. Anyone can pick up this book. Um, if you're in professional services, this is like a guide to how to grow and protect your practice or your business. And I just think it's very easy to read. Um, and you're funny. 
Thank you. What a high compliment. I like it so much. Well, I poured, I poured much of my heart and soul into that book. So your kind words mean everything to me. Thank you. Aww. Well, I love that you poured your heart and soul into the book and I love that you work with your dad. And I just wonder, you know, it may or may not be your dad, but who has been your inspiration or your mentor? Um, so I haven't worked with my dad in about, I, I retired fully from the insurance business, um, about six years ago. So, um, so I had moved on from that. He's still in the business, but I left, um, you know, I, I never had a mentor, um, which is interesting because I spend a ton of time mentoring others and, and talking about mentorship and making matches between mentors and mentees. Um, I've, I've collected many, many mentors over my life because I'm a very curious person and, um, I needed and wanted to learn throughout my career. So I, anybody I would meet, I would ask tons of questions and try to surround myself with people who knew a lot more than me. Um, but I've never had one sort of dedicated formal mentoring relationship. Um, I, I, I've wanted one. I'm actually in the market for one right now. Um, I, I need, I, I'm so good at helping other people in many ways, but I struggle with doing the same for myself. So I could use help as well. Isn't that such a, a common trait among women in business? We, you know, we can help others, but then when it comes to helping ourselves, you know, we need an outside force to come remind us, Hey, let's look after you. Let's care for you. Let's do what's best for you. Well, I'm happy if in any way I can serve as a mentor. I'm happy to do that for you. I'd be honored. I'd probably learn as much or more from you than you from me, but I think it would be great to um, partner in that way. I want to ask you, I follow you on Twitter. You're very prolific and active on Twitter. I love it. What is hashtag impact? Tell me more about that. I know it's associated with your book, but tell me, you know, impact is a powerful word. Yes, it's one of my favorite words. Um, because there's so much talk about being an influencer, being influential or having influence. And I've never been a fan of that word. Um, it means something different to many different people. But for me, um, it just sort of implies manipulation or having to persuade someone to come to your way of thinking. And for me, impact or being a center of impact or agent of impact is really about making a difference in the world. So in the workplace, in the community, in your family and beyond. So my book is called Path to Impact, The Rising Leader's Guide to Growing Smart. Um, and my focus, that the, that the tribe that I'm building, whether it's my clients or mentees or colleagues, friends, et cetera, um, is what we share in common is we want to be impactful. Our definition of success is not just uh, what, you know, uh, money and, and having a nice lifestyle, et cetera. It's really also about the kind of impact we want to have, you know, being takes many raindrops to fill an ocean and, and how can we, um, how can we contribute to the ocean with what we do professionally and personally? It's sort of like the butterfly effect, right? Yes, yes. Um, so I think it's interesting, and I'm, I'm not chastising anyone, but I've come across a number of people um, in the professional services arena who believe that persuasion and influence are forms of manipulation. And I felt like I needed to say something about this because I teach a class or teach a session on the art and science of persuasion. Um, I personally like to differentiate manipulation from persuasion. Um, so, so this is what I'll say to people who, who put those two, lump those two together. Hopefully I'll change your mind. If, that, if not, that's okay. Um, but I say that you know, clients ask, what should I do? And they also ask nowadays, why should I do it? it used to be that the client would ask the lawyer, what, for example, the lawyer, what should I do? And they would just do what they're told. But now they're pushing back and saying, why should I do that? And so this is where persuasion comes into play. It's often perceived as a skill for sales or deal closing or just another form of manipulation. And I think many, many people in the population think that. Um, but I try to make it my job to say that persuasion is much more than a selling technique. And in fact, it represents the opposite of deception or manipulation. 
that in fact, effective persuasion is learning and negotiating a process, leading your clients to some sort of shared solution or common understanding of a problem and its solution. Um, so I do often get that. I think a lot of people agree with you that persuasion is a form of manipulation, but I'm out there trying to persuade them to think otherwise about this. Um, uh, we'll see. I'm not sure, you know, I've, I've got work to do, but your thinking is common on that. Um, I think impact clears it all up. However, there's no confusion. Forget influence and persuasion. Go straight for impact. And that is a powerful word. Um, why did you, like, how did you come, did you think a lot about what to call your book? Did you go through a process? Did you do focus group or was that just something you, you know, impact is your power word? I mean, what, how'd you come to the title of your book? You know, it's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm thinking back, um, to, I, yes, it took me a very long time to work through different titles for my book. And I did, uh, I'd say a very informal mini focus group. And then I reached out to uh, a, a small network of people that I felt really understood what I wanted to accomplish, where I was going, knew me very well personally and professionally. Um, and I threw a bunch of titles at them and, and I, I kind of crowdsourced it. Um, and we came up with uh, the path to impact seemed to really resonate. Um, I don't remember the first time I used the word impact. I'd have to go through, back through probably all of my blogs and social media posts. But there was a moment, I think what, what got me to, to use this word a lot was the fact that I see so much, not, not as much about persuasion, which thank you for that. I loved, I loved your position on that. Um, but the word influencer and influence is thrown around so much. Um, and I see on social media, for example, so many younger professionals, so many millennials, a lot of the folks that I work with, um, feel so much pressure to keep up with the Joneses per se and follow what, what these quote unquote influencers do, how they look, what they eat, where they go, where they live. And it's, it's actually, um, very dangerous. I found because, because they're, you know, we, we all struggle with getting out of our own way and overcoming obstacles. And I have found, with so many of these folks that I both work with directly and, and mentor that they put so much pressure on themselves to, to be like these influencers that they completely miss, miss out on understanding their own motivation and their own individual unique value proposition, which is everything. I was just going to say that their unique value proposition goes missing because they're trying too hard to, um, emulate, become, copy, you know, those that they read about. So after Path to Impact, you should buy this book, folks, called Blue Ocean Strategy. And that's what Wendy does with her clients. It seems to me that instead of helping more people jump into the same red ocean, doing the same thing as everyone else is doing with these bloodied waters where we're competing and competing and competing, she takes them outside of that um, circle and throws them into a blue ocean where they can be unique and outstanding and they are set apart and they can differentiate themselves from everyone else in the same market. Um, perhaps with changing their market or changing how they market themselves or something different about the services they provide. So definitely purchase Path to Impact. It's an amazing book. I carry it with me actually along with Feminist Fight Club. And then uh, if you want to look up Blue Ocean Strategy, um, you know, that's what Wendy's doing. She's out there creating a unique path to impact for uh, her clients and prospects. So I, I, I really do. I wish I want to talk more about your book, if that's okay with you. Sure. sure. Um, I really do like the book. The fact, again, how you do. So, so it's not just content. Okay. It is content, but it's not just content. It's delivery. It's how you, it's like you're talking to the reader. Um, so there are important tips in there and tricks and tactics and strategies. Um, and I also want to talk about the name of your company too in the book, but the way that you deliver that information, very easy to read solopreneurs, solo practitioners, small, big, medium, large law, um, those in professional services would appreciate, I think your, keeping it real language, if you will. Um, it's sort of like we're having a conversation with Wendy throughout the book. 
Well, thank you, because that's exactly what I was looking to do. So, yay. I feel very successful now. <laughs> <laughs> you should. That's what I was looking to accomplish. I really wanted to keep it very, um, I didn't want to be prescriptive, and, and, I, and I wanted to connect with, the, I mean, the book, the tone with which I wrote the book is hopefully the same tone with which I work with coaching clients and do my workshops. Um, yes. I yes. try not to be, you know, I, I try to be human. I, I try not to be too formal. I try to bring the information to whomever I'm speaking with in such a way where it's, it's very relatable, um, where it's, it's inspirational and relatable uh, with some humor, but also with, some of the tough love that is so necessary. I think that we all need to overcome the obstacles that we face every day because many of those obstacles are actually much easier to overcome than we think. I think so. I think you make it that way. I don't, I don't think, yeah, I think our perception is different from the reality and you help guide people from perception to reality and give them a plan on how to actually walk through it and get to where they need to be or where they want to be. And the whole book, the whole book is, um, is filled with tons of stories and anecdotes. Um, there's only two names that I didn't change. Those are, uh, with, with permission. Um, but every other story in there is based on real life experiences. I, I wanted to bring forward all of these stories because, um, people can relate to those stories. I've had so many readers reach out to me and say, oh, I'm so-and-so, or I can totally relate to that. Were you writing about me? Um, because it awesome. is that common. And there's, there's, we feel empowered when there are others that go through the same things as us, you know? So it's yeah. actually become a very uniting um, book, I'd say. Well, you know, you're, <clears throat> what you're doing is you're engaging people and you're, tell, you're a compelling storyteller. So you're you're bringing people into the fold if you will into the story and it's sort of like when i um when you're looking to buy a new house you need to see yourself living there you can see yourself as a part of the story of this house that's what good storytelling does you bring the reader or viewer or listener into the story and they become part of the story at least in their own minds they do and i feel like this book makes it easy um it's very relatable, very easy to read. And the, the, it's not a lot of theory. It's more application. It's real life. Um, you know, it's very applicable, you know, in real life, you can, you can use these, these stories to make something good happen for your own business. I think that's great. Let's, let's shift a little bit because I know that you work with men and women and those who don't identify as either. However, my work has been to um, lift women up let me ask you, how do you advise women to support other women in business? Oh, I love that question. <laughs> and even though I work with men and women, um, I'd say upon reflection, most of the clients and mentees that I've had throughout my career have, act, well, this career, um, have actually been women. Um, it's something that I, empowering other women, as overused as that word is, is something that's really important to me because I struggled for a long time being a female in a predominantly male run profession. Um, in fact, I'd say even I, I found myself in situations where there was just blatant misogyny for years. So it, it was a struggle. Um, you're here. And because of that, <laughs> because of that, I, I sought out other women that, that I could relate to that felt either the same way or had somehow overcome some of the, these obstacles, um, and, uh, and lifted up other women. And so I, 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 I've been a student of this for years about a student of how other professional women have succeeded, how women can support each other, how women aren't supporting each other. Um, and I, I feel very strongly about this concept of sisterhood. Um, unfortunately, this is a very long answer to your question, but no, unfortunately, no, no. I've seen I've seen so many women with this internalized misogynistic way of looking at the world. Like, well, you know, it, I I had to survive a man's world, and so therefore I had to kind of lose my femininity, or or I had to become less sensitive in order in order to succeed. And I've seen a lot of women um, really step on one another's shoulders as opposed to lifting one another up. And it makes me really sad to see that. So 
the way we should be lifting one another up is we have to do something to get out of our own way. We have to, we have to lose these insecurities that so many women feel yes. um, competitive, you know, I mean, yeah, it's good to be competitive, but I, I feel like we're so conditioned because of the system that maybe we see so few spots for us to succeed that we have to be super cutthroat competitive with one another to fill because this, the, there's too many candidates for those spots, if you know what I mean. Um, and, and I think that's, it's really sad, but I do think that, that the problem is so, is so widespread. Um, and, and we're not going to be able to gain equality with men or sit at the table with them and have a productive dialogue, which is what we need to do until we come together better as a group, women, that is, um, and decide, you know, it's, it's silly for us to be competing with one another because when we step on one another, we actually, it, it's like taking one step forward and, and three quarters of a step back. I have to say, um, that is not a long answer. That's a great answer. I don't even know if I answered your question. I think it was just you, kind of going on. And no, on. <laughs> you did. I want to say that, you know, in the work that I do and have done for many years, even before I started this business a year or so ago, um, women do get in their own way. You, you said we have to get out of our own way. I find sometimes women are causing more harm than some of the men. Yes. 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 Definitely. Now, I'm going to just say it. Look, I work with a lot of women and men, but mostly women. Um, and they want to create affinity groups and they want to have these in groups and they want to, you know, that's creating the same problem, just swinging the pendulum the other way. Um, right. I find that they're fighting and clawing each other for the two roles at the top. Guess what, ladies, let's create more roles at the top and not fight each other. You know, in sports competition is the name of the game, but in business collaboration is the name of the game, at least these days. And I will say the only time you should compete is when you compete with the person you were yesterday. So, you know, we need to lift each other. I always talk about in my sessions that I have footprints on my shoulders, not from being stepped on because I will not tolerate that. I will not allow that, but from lifting other women. And I'll tell you some of my toughest times uh, in my career have been because of insecure women. Um, so I reach out to those people and say, who has hurt you and let's help you heal so that you can become part of the solution to the problem we all faced, uh, face and faced back then and now still. Um, so I love everything you said. I think you did actually answer the question in a very meaningful, robust way. Um, if I, I do have, I, I have a part B. If I Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, take it. Um, you know, I mentioned it, that, we need to stop being so catty with one another and being competitive with one another and be more supportive, which of course is a huge task. Um, and not, we're not going to solve that problem in this conversation, which we could, but you know, this, this definitely merits a further discussion. But I think, um, the other thing that that's really important is, um, getting to know, I kind of lost my train of thought there, but I have other things to say on this subject. <laughs> I think, um, oh, I know what it is. It's, it's, you know, we, I see so many women who, who say one thing and do something else. Um, so, you know, they, they, they say that they support women. They say that they're servant leaders and then not even behind someone's back, almost to their face, they stab them. Yeah. They stabbed them in the heart. Like they're very predatory. And there's a lot of women's organizations where, oh, come in here and it's a quote unquote safe space and we're going to support one another. And there's usually a handful of queen bee types who run the yeah. organization who actually prey on the women, which is incredibly sad. But the what I was going to say earlier, now I have my thought back, um, is it's so important for us to demonstrate, for, for women in leadership to demonstrate real vulnerability, you know, just like yes. Brene Brown talks about. And um, there's a lot of, believe it or not, I think there's a lot of quote unquote fake vulnerability out there. You know, everybody's talking about authenticity, but I do think that many, many public personalities are actually manufactured um, to, to appeal to people in terms of marketing and which is sad because that's, that's not, it's manipulation, right? So, so being, and you're so good at this, Susan, is really embracing who you are. Manipulating? 
Yeah, no, 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 no. At being, at being vulnerable, like being really who you are. I mean, it's kind of like, here I am, warts and all, you know, here's, because I, I know that you believe, and this is what I love about you, you believe so strongly that that the only way you are going to empower other people and impact other people in a positive way is if you yourself show the process. You know, if you yeah. say, here's what I believe in, but here's what I continue to struggle with. And through my struggle and through, you know, every single day, what I'm trying to do to get through with, uh, to get through the day and, and like you said, compete with who I was yesterday is, you know, here, here's when I fell down and here's the bruise I have from it. And here's, when I stood up and here's, here's was my victory. Um, sharing those stories is what inspires, I think other people, other women that they can do it as well. Um, and that there needs to be more of that, but it needs to be legit. It needs That's to be open. super sweet of you to say that I have to say is meant. So I've had a very colorful life, both personally and professionally, lots of tragedy, lots of trauma. But if you look at it that way, that way only, that's the bad news. But if you look at the survival and the thriving and the learning the lessons and the victorious, you know, I'm, I've reigned victorious over a lot of things that have happened that were not in my control. Um, so I do believe that, you know, other people's opinions of me is none of my business. I know that's true, but it's, that's a mantra because it's hard to accept that when you um, are in a position like you and I are where you, you're bread and butter depends on being hired by others and you know other people's opinions but what i'm trying to do is change the world in such a way that they that we all adopt that as our mantra you know be your highest and best self compete only against who you were yesterday and move on with your life holding your head held high and if there are people who are enemies or frenemies or don't align that's just not your tribe and that's okay don't be disingenuous just to um, gain favor with the, the people who, you know, you get this queasy feeling inside. You're like, I'm not sure if this is for me. Like you said, the groups of women with the queen bee, I can smell that a mile away and I'll run, I'll run. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. you know, <laughs> nobody can be helped unless they want the help. Right. So, right. you know, and, until you're ready, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. So, um, yeah. Um, Something I, something I wanted to add to that, you know, I was thinking early, about what you said earlier about persuasion um, and, and the word influence and talking about how we can be more positive and comfortable in our own skin. Um, it's, we have to be, uh, we have to understand motivation. And we can't, you know, when you're talking, I'm sure you, you dig into this in your courses. Um, we have to be totally aware of not only others motivation people that we have to do business with people who we're supposed to lead people that we um are surrounded with by and in the community but also our own it starts with our own motivation and until you understand your own motivation your own fears what you care about what you want it's impossible to see the world as clearly as you need to see it so i feel like what you and i are kind of talking about here is getting comfortable, you know, surviving things in our lives, getting comfortable in our own skin, be being on that journey. But also it starts with understanding what makes us tick. What do we really care about? Um, so you said you can smell those queen bees a mile away. I, I can as well. And it's only because I'm very clear about my own motivation and therefore it's helped me be clear about their motivation and understand that we are just not aligned in our motivations, you know? Right. I think that, well, many call it self-actualization. When you um, are stripped of everything and left with nothing or no one but yourself and you look inside and then you regrow from the inside out, um, it's sort of a rebirth, a knowing, a coming to a conclusion of who you are, what you're about, what you stand for, what you will and won't tolerate. And, you know, I try to believe in unconditional love, but I think it's ridiculous in some cases to uh, you know, put someone else above yourself and you, you can't, if you're a healthy human, you can't allow that. You have to love yourself first, respect yourself first. And that's when you attract people who will love and respect you, who you're interested in having in your life. I mean, look, I'm not interested in attracting everyone to me. Um, frankly, there are people like, for example, we were talking earlier before we were on the recording that there are people who follow us on social media who do not have our best interests at heart 
do not align with our values and are simply there to lurk like a frenemy might or, you know, or to chastise or poke the bear like an enemy might. Um, I don't have room or time in my life for that. I have love for people like you, respect for people like you, love for people like my family, and I just won't allow for that. So I'm going to click delete, defriend, goodbye and leave in love and separate with peace of mind and move on with my life. But I'm 52 now. And Wendy, how old are you? Do you mind sharing? Sure. I'm 46 and a half. 46 Actually, more, and a half. more than a half. I, more than a half. I turned 47 in October. So I guess that makes me closer to 47. But I own it, baby. Yes, exactly. And that's not old. And that's great. And I think you should own it. And that's awesome. But that's enough to say that you've been around a while and you oh, yes. embraced wisdom that comes with age and living a robust life and all the lessons learned from the good, the bad, and the ugly. I always say, win or learn, never lose, right? Right. So let me ask you, what has been your biggest challenge or setback and how did you overcome that, if you're willing to share? Sure. Um I've had lots and lots of challenges in my life, um, <clears throat> and I am a fighter and I am a survivor. Um, I'd say that recently, one of the biggest challenges I've had to face is that I live with chronic pain every day. I have something called fibromyalgia, which uh, some people, a lot of people have heard of, but they don't necessarily understand it. And it's, it's not officially a disease, it's a condition. It's a syndrome, and it's called that because it's not, there's no test to diagnose it. It's, it's actually clinically diagnosed, um, and it's something where you feel pain every single day. You feel fatigue. Um, there's a number of other real fun uh, <laughs> conditions. Uh, um, symptoms. Um, symptoms, thank you. Symptoms, such as... Uh, such as your mind going blank like it just did, word retrieval, <laughs> another, another challenge. Um, and it uh, hits mostly women, um, and it definitely fluctuates with your hormones, so it's lots of fun several times a month. Um, so the struggle for me is that uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm a mom of three, uh, my husband, I'm a devoted wife, and my husband runs his own business, so we live a pretty crazy life in terms of both of us eating what we kill, you know, being entrepreneurial. And um, some of my children have certain challenges that have been, uh, that we've had to be very involved in, in, in terms of uh, educational advocacy, et cetera. So that takes a lot of energy, certainly. Um, and just, you know, starting my business, running my business, growing my business, actually doing my business, all these other things. It requires me to give, I don't know, to, to always be at 140, 150%. I hear and, you. And, and, you know, having this condition. That's what I was going to ask. How has been, it has, it's been a huge challenge for me. And the biggest challenge is that I've had to suddenly accept that I have limitations. And I've had to respect those boundaries. And what I mean by that is, for example, um, it's never kept me from working and it never will keep me from working. However, if I'm doing, if I know that, like I, if I'm driving down to Washington, which I do a few times a month to see clients down there, which is on a good day, about an hour drive. On a bad day, it could be three hours, depending on traffic. And anyone who knows the DC area knows the traffic is a nightmare there on the Beltway. Um, so if I go, if I know I'm going to have a long drive and I have very intense, uh, intensive work, work sessions, uh, coaching sessions, etc for several hours, it's going to be very draining in a good way. But I put so much energy, mental energy into what I'm doing that when I'm finished, I'm pretty tired. And then when I have to drive home, so when I get home, I know that I'm going to be a zombie. So what that means is that I have to plan ahead. I have to make sure my husband knows I'm going to be a zombie, make sure that he's got dinner done that night or that we have a, you know, carry out and in play, something like that. Um, that when I get home, I'm probably going to have to lay down or rest, that I'm not going to be my usual quote unquote energetic self. Um, I, that takes planning and it takes an acceptance of limitations, which is something that I absolutely hate that I have to do or have. Um, the, the, the lemon making lemonade out of lemons, which I like to do a lot is that through my own journey with this illness, um, it's, forced me, like I said, to recognize my own limitations, but it's also helped me to counsel others, especially working moms, 
about the importance of self-care and the importance of paying attention to your body, paying attention to your brain, paying attention to, to your surroundings so that you can make sure that you can stop when you need to, replenish, refuel, et cetera, and refresh. Because as you know, Susan, many, many working moms, in fact, most of the working moms I've come into contact with, we tend to put ourselves last. Oh, yeah. Which is really dangerous for everybody involved. So it's been a huge challenge. It continues to be a challenge because there's no cure. It's never going to go away. I've tried absolutely every treatment out there. I do tons of supplements, et cetera. And there are good days and there are not such good days. But being public about it and, and, and owning it and sharing my experience with people has been scary because, of course, I'm afraid of judgment. But it's also been empowering to educate people um, because back to that authentic thing. I mean, it's, it's who I am. So I need to own it. Yes, you do. I'll say you were spot on when you opened with a lot of people have heard of it, but don't know what it is. I know a lot of women and, and I say a lot, meaning more than, you know, I can count more than on one hand. So that have or suffer with this. And you're right. I have heard of it, but didn't know exactly what it is, what it does, what happens to the body when you suffer with this and how to um, manage it or, you know, live your life with it. The, be the best way I can describe it is it's like if you've ever had the flu, which most of us have, where you feel that achiness that just doesn't go away. You know, like when you have a really bad flu and you know, your skin and your teeth hurt, you know, you just kind of want to crawl yeah. up in a ball and curl up in a ball and go to sleep. It's like having a mild form of that every single day. Right. On top of having, if anyone struggles with arthritis, like in your joints and bones, it's the same sort of thing. And then being just knocked out sometimes. So, you know, having to work with that and having to, it's like when I first got my diagnosis, I decided that I wasn't going to play the viol tiny violin for myself. I decided that my, my outlook was going to be, what am I going to do? Not what am I going to do about this, but what am I going to do with this? And it's really changed my perspective. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, my kids ask me all the time, mommy, when, when are you going to get better? And having to tell them, well, this is not something that, that's going to go away. It's just something I live with and we have to live with it as a family. It breaks my heart every time I have to say that, you know, but there's, there's it's just the way it is. That, though, um, that you keep it real. Yes. I, ha I have no choice. I mean, I, they see me looking like a zombie. They know what's up <laughs> and it's that's really scary for them. Yeah. Yeah. It's scary for them. And that's the thing I hate the most about it, that it's scary to the kids because sure. it's something that, you know, oh my gosh, mommy's not a superwoman, but <laughs> at the same time, I, is. I can't feel guilty. I mean, it, it is, it is what it is, you know? Right. But you know what? You're living by good example of limitations and being real. I mean, no one can do it all. No one has it all. No, no matter what people put out there on social media, like I'm probably an exception to the biggest rule of fake book. Like I put the negative, the bad, the, Oh, I had a bad day. Here's why people are like, you shouldn't do that. And I'm like, why not? Don't tell me you're not having a bad day here and there. And don't tell me that, you know, I think by sharing openly the positive and the negative, you give permission to other people to be real, drop the facade, quit this crap and own your story. So I think you're doing the same thing when you tell me, us, the people listening on this podcast and your children, what's up, what's real, what's going on, you know, set my expectations, tell me what to, um, you know, teach me. I want to learn more about you, Wendy. And if that means learning more about fibromyalgia, that's a good thing. So um, I'm sorry you suffer with that. I have arthritis. So I do know that excruciating pain that you're referencing. Um, but I know that's just a part of the greater pain that you suffer. So, um, I wanted to ask, have you ever tried acupuncture? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I've tried, I've tried everything and I, you know, kind of figured out some of the things that work a little better than others. Um, but it's a process, you know, and it's, and, and, you know, the, the interesting thing is that, I've, I never had any desire to go to medical school ever. I was, I've always been like really turned off and grossed out by blood. However, because of my own condition and some conditions that my children struggle with that are, that are, you know, in the gray area instead of the black and white, I've had to become this fierce health advocate 
for myself and for, for my kids, especially one of my children, which means I've had to do so much research that it's gotten to the point where I, I've connected more dots about my condition and, and his condition than any physician has ever done. And I'm actually in a position where I actually guide the physicians with, with how they treat us, which is definitely not something I want to be doing or I enjoy, but it's out of necessity. Um, so what I've learned about myself is that I'm a very, very good detective. Well, isn't that just playing right into the path to impact? I mean, even personally, like how can we create great change in my personal life with this condition from which I suffer? Well, let me guide the doctor down the path to impact, how we can uh, take baby steps to make it better. So that's so like you. I'm not shocked at all. There you go. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, um, we have a little time left. I still wanted to ask you um, two things. What is something surprising about you, maybe outside of the fact that you suffer with fibromyalgia? Um, but the second thing is, before we go, I definitely want to address why you called your company Strategy Horse. Sure. Um, so the first question, something that's maybe surprising about me, at least that a lot of people are surprised about, is um, I, up until maybe two, maybe three years ago, I struggled with terrible insecurity, um, debilitating anxiety, and very little self-confidence. Um, I was a very good actress for a long, that long time. That shocks me. That's what usually what people say. They go, oh my gosh, you. I said, well, now I, you see this confident, strong person, but I had to work very hard to get here. And for so many years, I had to sort of play one on TV because I was in sales and business development and I had to present myself in a certain way. But the demons, the internal demons, the, the, the constant question about what do others think of me and, and, and are people judging me and should I be doing more what they think I should be doing haunted me every single day of my life. It's sort of the way I was raised. Um, so overcoming that was huge. It's also helped me to be better at what I do professionally, but it always shocks people because what they thought they were seeing was not actually what was going on. Now what you, what you see is what you get. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in that self-actualization stage, as you mentioned. Yeah. Um, but for most of my life, oh no. I mean, I was bullied as a kid. I, you know, I, 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 I really struggled for a very, very long time with who I was and who I could be and who I should be. Let me ask you what prompted the change and, and what resources do you look to to help you grow to love yourself? Um, well, what prompted the change was, was, you know, going, well, it was, it was several things, but it was, I'm a very intuitive person. Same. But for most, and, and I'm, I'm very thankful. I feel blessed to be an intuitive person because not everybody has it. It can be a blessing and a curse. Actually. I agree. Um, for most of my life, however, I was taught and trained to ignore my intuitive ability to always go against it and to do what others thought I should do as opposed to what my gut was telling me to do, which is a pretty yucky way yeah. of being. I should say it's a really shitty way of being. I forgot I have permission to uh, curse on your podcast. podcast. So I'm yeah. actually going to just <laughs> say what I would normally say. It's a really shitty existence. Okay. And, um, about, oh, I don't know, uh, what was it? Maybe, yeah, 11, 12 years ago, um, I faced, a, there was a, a crisis with a family member and I needed to make a decision to um, extricate myself and my family from this person. Um, and that was a huge decision and a very unpopular decision in my family, in my extended family. Um, and I knew in my gut that it was the best decision to make to protect my family, to protect me. Um, and, um, you know, estrangement in my extended family is just something that's not done. But I did it. And turns out it was one of the best decisions I ever made because it turns out that the person that, that I estranged myself from ended up being a pretty bad dude. So I'm proud of you for that. That takes a lot of courage. And, it um, was very hard to do. It, it, yeah. it gets easier. But that was the moment truly where I said, wait a minute, I need to start listening to my gut. And since then, every single time I've listened to my gut, I have never, ever been wrong. So Wendy, I, from a young age, 
divorced myself from many of my family members. Um, and you'll buy the book someday, but I haven't written it yet. Um, but I'm going to send you something on toxic people, uh, even those that are in your immediate family and people you love, but it's, it's your, your, uh, maybe sort of causing harm to yourself to love them the way that you do. And you should really love yourself first. You I came, you're... I came to that realization then, yeah. and I've lived that way for the last 11 years and, um, I've never that's gone hard. back. I've never, that's why I really believe that friends are the family that we choose. Um, and here, here, here. here. Oh my gosh. It's, it's how, it's how I've lived. But, but in terms of like the fact that I realized it, it's a sad way to realize this, but but when I the, the moment that I realized that my intuition was strong and that I had this ability and that I should use it to live a better life and help others to do so was an incredible, incredibly empowering moment. Um, so that that that's something that 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 helps me to live every single day the yeah. way I want to live it. Well, tell me, um, this is a huge topic that I could talk with you and listen to you on for days because being an empath and being an, uh, you know, intuitive, you feel other people's pain and you feel the truth regardless of what's coming out of someone's mouth. And it's hard to know, you know, you really know, and it's hard to know some things that, you know, when other people don't want you to know and they're fake and they're covering up and you know the truth. It's, it's difficult to live with that, but let's move on from this for now, because in closing, I would really like to learn more about strategy horse. Um, basically, you know, what you do to help others, why you pick that name for your company. Um, you know, what's your elevator speech, if you will. So I help rising leaders to be more impactful. Um, and, awesome. and by, by, the, de the definition rising leader <clears throat> is what I came up with when I was trying to think about, okay, who, who's my tribe? And my tribe is filled with people who define success differently than maybe their parents or the generation before them defined it. So I'm a Gen Xer. I was raised by baby boomers and baby boomers were raised by, you know, the, the depression era parents yes. or the great generation, which means that success was always financial and it right. was school of hard knocks, make sacrifices, feed your family, you know, get a nice home. And that hence the, the boom of the eighties, which, um, you know, I was a child during and, um, for my generation, I'd say like the, the, the younger half of Gen X is the older half of Gen X tends to think more like boomers, um, and millennials and younger. Yes, we want nice things. We absolutely want to have a nice lifestyle and, and money is important. However, we really want to have some kind of impact in the work we're doing in the community and be part of something bigger than us. And every single person I've talked to in, in age wise that I've just described feels that way. So there is, um, there's a real dearth, I think of, of good programs in terms of coaching or educational programs, professional development programs that really help people who define success that way. There's lots of prescriptive off the shelf approaches to being a great business developer or leadership 101 or being a manager. Um, but it's not tailored to this, this, I think it's actually not a unique view um, because it's shared by so many people of, right. of what success really means because most of us are not empowered to define our own success. So that's what strategy horse is about. So I do that through coaching workshops interactive workshops, which is my favorite way to work. I do presentations. I've written a book, as I met, as you've kindly mentioned. Um, I do growth strategy planning. Um, and it's really a platform that I'm building and growing this tribe of, of people who care about the same thing and share the same values. The name Strategy Horse, the genesis, genesis is the old proverb about leading a horse to water, which I don't know about ah. you, Susan, but I have wasted a lot of time in my life trying to force that Thirst, that not thirsty horses head into the trough to get them to drink. They just won't drink. Well, I don't want to waste any time on that anymore. I only want to work with thirsty horses who want to find water, which is people who want to grow, people who want to become leaders and they want to grow their businesses um, and they're eager to learn. And once I help them find their water source, they don't need me anymore because they now have the skills to find their own water. That's so that's it. And then there's a second part. 
I am a horsey person. I am, I grew up riding horses. I unfortunately can't make the time right now uh, to ride any longer. However, I still love anything to do with horses. Like I will drive down the street about two minutes from my house. There's a big uh, horse field, horse pasture. And, and I pass by every day and I still feel giddy like a six-year-old girl looking at a pony. So I have a lot of fun with my branding. Um, I do lots of things with different horsey things. And the coolest thing ever is that my clients and my, my followers have actually started to enjoy the branding along with me. And I get pictures from all over the world from people who say, hey, saw this and thought of you. And it's either like a awesome. picture of a horse or a statue. I'm like, that is the coolest thing ever. So I have a lot of fun with that. Well, that is awesome. Well, I love following you on social media and our and our occasional phone conversations are, are super um, refueling, if you will. Really great. So if people want to know more about what you do, how you can help them, where can they reach you and how? So my website is strategyhorse.com. My email is wendy with a Y at strategyhorse.com. And my phone number, should I share that? Yes, if you wish. All right. It's 410-746-8212. Um, I am on Twitter, at Strategy Horse. I am on Instagram, which I'm trying to figure out, which is Strategy Horse CG. I am on Facebook. I actually have like, my personal page. I have a Strategy Horse page, and I also have a Path to Impact book page. And my book, Path to Impact, The Rising Leader's Guide to Growing Smart, is available on Amazon. And for your listeners who live in the Maryland, D.C., Virginia area and want to get a personally signed copy of the book that's personally delivered to them, would love to connect and make some time to meet um, and, uh, and get them a copy of my book in person. That is awesome. So I'll put all that in the blog to make sure people can reach you, contact you, connect with you, get to know you, hire you. Um, so we like to introduce, advise and higher. So refer, refer, refer. And that's part of women lifting women. And I'm all about it. So Wendy Merrill, thank you so much for being here today. This has been a really great, robust, deeply personal, I think, um, wonderful conversation. And I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And I'm sure the listeners will too. Thank you for having me, Susan. It's been a blast. You're so welcome. Have a good day, everybody.